Hey, Shepard, thanks for joining us once again for Digital Worship. I'm John Carolis, one of our associate pastors. And it's so good to be with you as we continue our series, Move, the Resurrection Impact in the Book of Acts. What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead and that the story of his resurrection was shared by his followers? Today, we're in Acts chapter 1. We've sort of been working our way backwards through the book. And today, we're going to learn about how the disciples dealt with the absence, the void that was left after Judas betrayed Jesus and then tragically passed away soon after. After that, what were they going to do that Jesus had called 12 disciples? One of them had left his calling. They needed to fill that gap so that they could, as a united group of 12, enter into the world to tell people about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and this weekend of all weekends, his ascension. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus went back to heaven. We don't believe that Jesus died, came back to life, and just disappeared, and we never heard from him again. We don't believe that Jesus died and simply spiritually rose from the dead and his body still lays in the ground. No, we believe that Jesus is physically and spiritually. He is totally reigning at God's right hand in the heavenly kingdom, preparing a place for those who trust in his word, for those who turn to him for their salvation, for those who are rescued out of the sin and, and, and the, the darkness of their lives, he is preparing a place for them to call home ultimately, eternally, after we are raised back to life just like he was after his death. So we're going to be hearing about the ascension story. Then we're going to take a look at John chapter 17 and see what Jesus' own intentions were for his disciples after he had given them his great commission and sent them into the world. And then we're going to see how the disciples handled the void that was left by Judas as they prepared in, as they prepared to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we'll actually hear about next week on Pentecost. From Acts chapter 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. This familiar passage from the beginning of the book of Acts has a couple of details I want to explain to you. First of all, in the opening line, Acts is written by the physician Luke, and it's written as a letter and an account personally to his friend Theophilus. So that's why Theophilus is addressed in the opening line. And then we hear about the account of Jesus reappearing to his disciples over the course of 40 days after his resurrection. And then he takes them to a mountaintop, and before he rises into the sky to reign with his Father in heaven, they say, Lord, is now the time you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? See, up until that point, they still had this idea, just from their own reading of the Old Testament and their reading of the prophets, what they thought the Messiah's work would be, 
they expected Jesus to still lead a military conquest to establish the nation of Israel as a world power. So they were wondering whether that was going to happen soon or not. Now, you and I have the benefit of history and the benefit of their revealed faith to teach us that the kingdom Jesus established is not one that is recognized by the national powers that be throughout the world. It's not some great economic force. Rather, it is a spiritual united group of people who are bound together in their confession of faith they have in Jesus as the authority over their lives, as the Savior from their sins. And that united collective group of people is simply referred to as the church. And those that exist in the church are participants and citizens of the kingdom of God. That was the established kingdom that God was working through His Holy Spirit that He was about to send to them on Pentecost in the lives of His followers. So before we get to that great gift of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about next week, we want to see what Jesus' own intentions were for His disciples at this time. See, they seem to be a little bit confused as to what his mission was, but he sent them into the world saying, look, when the Holy Spirit comes to you, you will receive the gift to share the truth about me to the world, and then you must go out into the world and do it. You must enter into the mission field as a united group of 12 men, of 12 followers leading a whole, a, a whole group of people, a whole a cloud of witnesses, this crowds that had followed Jesus throughout his ministry, these believers that trusted in what he said. They were entrusted to those 12 disciples, entrusted to those 12 apostles. And so they had a very critical and important mission to bring that message out into the world. But how were they expected to do that? By whose protection were they going to safely bring that message into the world? Well, if we turn back the pages of our Bible a little bit, or scroll back on our iPad or whatever it is we use to read the Bible, we'll see that in John chapter 17, which how most Bibles are arranged, John is between the book of Luke and the book of Acts, who were written by the same guy. In there is the Gospel of John. And in the book of John, there is a prayer by Jesus for the church for the people that would believe in the message of the disciples. So we're going to listen to a few verses from John 17 and hear what Jesus was asking his father to do on behalf of his followers. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you have given me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. This prayer by Jesus, which takes place 
on the night he was betrayed, goes on a little bit further and expounds on those ideas that he introduced in these first 11 verses. What is Jesus saying here? He is acknowledging the fact that God the Father sent him into this world to carry out a mission, to give him glory, and to communicate the fact that a relationship with the creator of the universe is possible if you know Jesus Christ, his son. And when you know Jesus, you are connected to God the Father and you are united in that faith as one of his dear children. And Jesus knew that this message was going to be communicated through people like you and me, people that he called to his side through his ministry, the apostles. And he prayed that God would protect those apostles to keep them united. That is, uh, in relationship with one another in such a way that the actions they took were collective steps, were things that they were doing on account of and on behalf of each other. They were a team, united by what they believed, united by their sole leader, Jesus Christ, protected by His Father and sent into the world to share that message. You and I even make an appearance in this prayer as well because Jesus says, my prayer is not only for these ones you have given me, but all who will receive their message. Jesus himself, on the night he was betrayed, prayed for you and me who would accept the disciples' message as it made its way through history on the account of, first of all, them and the people they told and the people they told and the people they told all the way until you and I were met by God's grace, the message of Jesus, how he saved us from our darkness, how he saved us from our limitations, how he saved us from the evil things we have done so that we might be united to our creator in a meaningful way that changes who we are. So you can see the importance of this mission to the apostles. You can hear that Jesus' own intentions for them was that they would be united, that they would be tied together, that they would have this great effort, not on 12 individual basis, but one united effort brought together by the intentions and actions of 12 gentlemen who then stepped into the world and called on the help of all those who believed their message, men and women across the whole world. But there's a problem. You see, at the time when Jesus ascended into heaven, when we were hearing about the account in Acts chapter 1, there was only 11 apostles present. The 12th apostle, Judas, again, he had betrayed Jesus. He had gone his own way and he had even gone to the point where he rejected God's plan to the point of carrying out the end of his own life. This tragic end to the story of Judas left the disciples in need of one person to step into that role so that they could live out the prayer that Jesus asked God the Father to preserve them in, to be united, and that in that united identity they could step out into the world and follow Jesus' instructions to share that message with everyone who would hear. Knowing how important that was, remembering Jesus' prayer from that night, being sent on that mission and waiting for the Holy Spirit, let's hear about what the disciples did in Acts chapter 1 to fill that void. During this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. When they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, 
for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. I know we're getting into a lot of scripture today, but these stories all tie together in a very cohesive and unified way. Jesus told the disciples to wait for his gift that would send them into the world. They remembered his prayer that they would be united as one, and they realized as they looked back at the scriptures that they were required to fill the place that Judas left when he fulfilled his role and stepped away from the apostles and into his own devices and fell to his own sin. And so they felt guided and they were led to select Matthias as the one who would take that, take that spot, become one of the 12 apostles, and go out into the world to spread God's message. You see, the story is important because it's good for us to know how these things were established. What happened to the 12 disciples after Jesus died on the cross? What happened to get us from 12 people who followed a random rabbi in first century Jerusalem to a global phenomenon, a global collective group of Christians, the global church today that we see? What brought us to that point? What were the first steps that took place? And these stories give us a picture of how those things began to develop. The application of this story is totally critical to who we are as Christians. What took place here? Jesus was instructing his people. He was giving them the word of God. They believed that word of God, though they might not have understood it all at first. They believed the message that they received, and they trusted that God would make clear to them what they needed to know. When that happened, as they look back and remember Jesus' prayer, as the Spirit began to turn in their hearts and lead them to realize what their next step should be, they trusted Him and acted on that faith. They knew that they needed to fill the place that Judas left, and so they went about doing it in a faith-filled, prayerful way. The impact of that truth, the impact of that narrative, has eternal consequence, as you and I can now attest to, because we believe the message. We believe the message that God brought to us through His servants, all beginning back with not only the apostles, but Jesus, His Son. So these stories, this, this Bible, this text, these things are good for us to know, not only as people who call ourselves Christians, but even to see how in the biblical narrative itself, we can understand the story, the application, and the impact of all of these things that they have together. You and I are called to believe the same message. We're called into the same unity that Jesus prayed over his disciples. And though we struggle with unity from time to time, we are called to act in that unity to share his love with others. The message of Jesus is far too good for us to simply keep to ourselves. Just as Jesus has washed you clean of your sin, just as the faith that you have in his message saves you and brings you into an eternal relationship with God, our creator, so too can it have that same impact on the people that we are led to interact with on account of God's pulling in our hearts as well. So my prayer is that you would feel the calling of the Holy Spirit to see the people in your life that God has brought you into contact with that you might be the introduction of Him into their lives. May God give you a great week as you celebrate with us not only the ascension of Jesus into heaven, but next week as we celebrate the great story of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming into the church on earth. Have a great week.